Well, welcome. It is so good to be here today. We are going to be talking about spiritual leadership. Um, This is the week that we're nominating people for elders. So if you are a member or regular attender, then you got that email that has a little link that you can click on and nominate uh, some leaders. So look around the church at people that you see qualified and faithful before the Lord and nominate them. That's actually what we're going to be talking about this morning. I was just thinking about uh, this week was a, a great week. And one of the things that we celebrated this week is Camille's mom went home to be with the Lord. And we celebrated that this week. And, and at, at, uh, at her service, uh, Tom shared something that was just so encouraging about Camille's mom. And he just, uh, one of the things he said was that everywhere she went was better because she was there. And I was just thinking about what a, what a tribute that is to her. And uh, now I know a little bit about Camille and where Camille got some of that. Everywhere Camille goes, it's better because she's there. And that is just a really, really cool thing. But I was thinking about just for myself, and I think actually for this church, man, what a, what a great personal commitment it would be if we decided that we are gonna be a blessing and we are gonna be an encouragement to every single person we see, no matter where we go. Like if you thought about your lives in those terms, is everybody that I meet and talk to, are they better off, are they more encouraged, are they blessed because of their interaction with me? Man, what a great goal to have. And ultimately, we're gonna be talking about um, spiritual leaders today. And that is actually, that's a quality that should be true of every spiritual leader, that no matter where they go, no matter what they do, God uses them to bless the people around them. And, uh, and there's reasons why that happens. I was thinking about even as a parent, right? Like we want to bless our kids, <laughs> but the Bible also says that God disciplines those whom he loves. He says about parents, if you love your kids, you'll discipline them. So being better off, we hope is mostly warm and fuzzy, but it's not just warm and fuzzy. Sometimes there are hard, challenging things that are a part of making people better off. So uh, we've been doing a series on, on uh, we're, we're going through 1 Corinthians and we hit that spot on gifts. And we talked last week about the fact that every single person has a spiritual gift. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit has indwelled you and given you a supernatural gift that you are to use to build up the body of Christ. But the Bible also tells us, interestingly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we read this last week, but that God gives gifts, and he's talking about people, that he gives people as gifts. And the leaders that God gives, their purpose is to train people in the church to use their gifts to build each other up. And so leaders are a gift, but also every person in the church is a gift. And we need to think about that as we do this. Um, As we think about leadership, I want to point out just a few things that we should think about related to leadership. This is something Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, he said, As a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teachers. And I just want to say one thing. I apologize for saying this again, but I hear a ringing. I know that uh, in, in the back, that back sound booth, sometimes you can't hear that. But uh, anyway, I am hearing a ringing. But we, again, we can, uh, we're, we're big enough and mature enough to, to push past that if it happens. So a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Have you thought about how important it is? Um, leaders, you're going to be like your leaders. And that's something to think about too. Often as, as parents or wherever God puts us, We need to live seriously. We need to think rightly about the way that we're leading because the people we lead end up like us. Um, Often I look into my kids' lives and some of the things that I see in their weaknesses that some of the things that really bugged me and Michelle about our kids, uh, Michelle and I would go into our room sometimes and we'd talk about what was going on in our family and we'd say, you know, they're doing this. Yeah, it's interesting, I do that. And and Michelle would say, oh, yeah, they're doing this. And then she'd say, oh, I do that. And so we need to make sure that we are people who um, 
recognize the importance of who we have that choose to have as leaders and also that are evaluating our own leadership. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And we need to follow leaders that follow Christ. And we need to follow leaders to the degree that they follow Christ. Um, you know, no person is perfect, right? I remember I used to, I was a youth pastor for years, and I would tell all the kids in youth group, you need to read your Bible so that you'll know what God is saying you should be like. And then you should look at your parents, and in all the ways that your parents are honoring and obeying God, you should do that. Follow their example. Learn from them. And when you look at your parents and you say, yeah, but all this stuff that they're doing does not match what's in the Bible. Don't follow that part of their example. Follow the part of the example that is in Scripture. And I used to encourage kids, you know, you stand in your relationship between, the Lord, between you and the Lord, and you need to be reading the Bible, and you need to be following Christ, and you need to be thinking accurately about what you see. And that is no different for us in the church, right? Like, we, in the same way, we are inspired by the good examples that we see. But we don't follow bad examples no matter what position a person is in. Um, and this is how all leaders should be. This is uh, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. He is a great example of leadership. Uh, look at what it says here. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. God's Word is powerful. It needs to be big in our life. We should read the Bible every day. If you don't read the Bible every day, I would just encourage you, you should do that. And we live in this age where you can get a Bible app, and while you're driving, you can just push a button, and you can just listen to it. I mean, what an amazing gift. But every single day, we should be putting God's Word into our life. And Ezra studied he studied so he would know what was true, so he would know what was right. That whole idea of studying has to do also with knowing that what God says is right. I don't just sit here and make up my own stuff. I figure out what God says. And then he did something really important. Um, James says this, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. You know, there's tons of people who are experts and who they read the Bible and they know all kinds of things that it says, but they don't actually do it. Well, what Ezra did is he studied and then he studied the law of the Lord and to do it, he obeyed it. He put it into practice in his own life. Um, that is so critical for leaders. We need leaders that actually know what God says. Tons of problems in people's lives flow from them not knowing what's true and right. That's significant. And, and that's one of the things Satan's doing. We'll see that this morning. He's throwing all kinds of false teaching out there. Because if you believe the wrong things, if you don't know the right things, that will impact how you live. It will impact where you end up. And so we need to know the truth, but then we need to do the truth. And that's what uh, Ezra did. You know, you don't actually know the truth if you don't do it. Um, it's, I, I think about that from the perspective of parenting. Before I had kids, I knew a lot about parenting. Man, I read a lot of good stuff. And then when I actually had kids, I, I realized, okay, well, intellectually I understood that, but now I really understood that. And I realized how hard it was to do some of the things that I thought were kind of easy to do until you actually are living that. So the truth is, if you don't put God's truth into practice, you don't actually know it fully. And so you can't do what he did next, which was to teach. You can't teach if you're a person who doesn't obey. And so Ezra and all leaders, and as you think about nominating leaders, we are not looking for perfect people. Why? Because <laughs> we have no leaders. Nobody's perfect. But we do not nominate and put into place people who don't know what the Bible says or people who know it and don't do it or people who don't teach it. 
Um, those are three important things for every leader that we know, that we do, and that we teach. And so that's a significant thing. And we're headed into a really wonderful time. So the way that this, this process works for our church family is everybody nominates. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 6, when they wanted deacons, uh, the, they came to the apostles and they said, hey, you need to solve this problem for us because the widows aren't getting taken care of correctly. And so then the elders just said to everybody in the church, hey, go find a group of people who are full of the Spirit and wisdom that we could put in charge of this task. So those Spirit-filled people who are Christians, who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and who live that out. How do you know a Spirit-filled person? It's easy. It's the fruit of the Spirit is in their life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Uh, that's a Spirit-filled person. So go find some of those kind of people. And then uh, they put them in charge of those tasks. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, and also in Titus chapter 1, Paul tells the leaders, he says, appoint elders. And so there's a cooperation. The body of Christ nominates, but it is the leader's job to say, is this the right time? Is this the right person? And should we appoint them? And so that's how our system works. Everybody nominates, and then the elders sit, sit down, and they appoint. And, and then we're going to affirm that in our June meeting by the congregation voting and saying, yes, we agree. Those are faithful people. We want them to serve. And uh, so, by the way, Satan wants to destroy that process. He wants it messed up. He wants us to be a time of discouragement where somebody gets nominated, and they don't get appointed, and then their feelings are hurt. Uh, he, wants, uh, the, he wants the leaders to disregard what God says and to appoint the wrong people. Um, there's all kinds of ways that Satan wants to interrupt this. And so what that means is that as a church family, we all need to be praying that God raises up and that the right people are appointed and that the right people agree to serve. And so that's a very important thing. You know, another way that Satan destroys leadership before we jump into this passage is through pride. You know, one of the things that's terrible about um, having, looking at the qualifications of leadership and saying, we're going to really be faithful to these and only appoint spiritually qualified people. You want to know what the problem with that is? When you do that, um, people start to feel like if I'm asked to serve as an elder, it means I'm in the spiritual special forces. It means that they looked around and they said, who's amazing and who's spectacular? Then they picked me. <laughs> You know, it's like, instead of thinking to themselves, oh my goodness, why did I get picked? Which is what everybody should think. But when, but when people are prideful, I've seen so often, you'll have people that function and serve in church, and they're just so faithful. So in my years as a pastor, it's been over 30 years, um, I've had the privilege of working with um, over 70 elders, different elders, and seeing this process happen over and over and you start to see some of the same patterns. People who serve faithfully and they do so well until they're appointed as an elder. And then pride takes over and it's just, it destroys them. Um, or here's another one. Um, so uh, we need humble leaders for sure. Another one is when people have an unhealthy reverence for the position of elder. You ever know anybody who idolizes people? And it's like when they walk in, uh, they're a respecter of persons. So they walk in and they wouldn't give you the time of day. And then they find out, oh, you're the pastor? And now all of a sudden they're super nice. Or, oh, you're an elder? And all of a sudden now you're important. They don't walk into a room and see the value of every person. They take spiritual leaders and put them up on a pedestal. That's actually one of the things that's terrible because you make that person a leader and what do they do? <laughs> they put themselves upon the pedestal. Like they just look up to leaders and then when they're a leader, they think everybody should bow down to them. So an unhealthy reverence for a church leader is destructive when you don't understand that we follow Christ, we do not follow people. And there are no spiritual special forces. Every person is weak. Every person needs God's help in everything that they do. Another thing that's destructive is when people view leaders with a lack of reverence, 
with a lack of respect. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, obey your leaders and submit to them as those who keep watch over your soul. Let them do this with joy and not with sorrow because that wouldn't be good for you. Um, Ultimately, uh, we respect the leaders that God gives us, not because they're perfect, not because they do everything right, but because God in his sovereignty puts frail people in leadership positions. And we respect the leaders that God gave us because we respect God. And by the way, (laughs) that should be true in church, but did you know that that's actually something that gets demonstrated in every part of your life? If you're married, um, God has appointed uh, your husband to be the leader. You are the leader of your family. Now, any married people married to any perfect husbands? I don't see any hands. (laughs) You know, we follow leadership in our marriages, not because our Our spouses are perfect, not because our husband's perfect. Uh, We follow those leaders because God tells us to. And we have a respect for God's authority in appointing leaders. Um, Parents, are there any kids here who have perfect parents? I don't see any, I don't see any hands. You know, okay, we got, okay, all right. Uh, Your daughter raised her hand that, that you guys are the perfect parents. So we'll, we'll bring you guys up afterwards. We'll, all, we'll have you guys teach a class um, on parenting. You know, uh, you know, most people <laughs> didn't grow up in a home with perfect parents. <laughs> Jackie, you're blessed. You've got perfect parents. Um, but you know what? Uh, we honor and respect the parents that God gives us because he chose them. You know, isn't that an amazing blessing when you're born into a house and you think to yourself, I didn't pick my parents, God did? And then what that means is those were the exact parents that God wanted you to have. And that includes all their strengths and all of their weaknesses. God put you in that house so that you could grow and you can learn. And you honor and respect those leaders because of the ones that God gave you. And so people who struggle with authority, um, anybody who doesn't honor their parents, anybody who does not honor their spouse, Anybody who does not honor the authorities that God put in their life has a significant spiritual problem with the Lord. It's not ultimately a problem with leaders. It's a problem with the Lord. And so that's, those are some of the things that we think about in our leaders. So we're going to jump into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse uh, 1 through 11. And we're going to read and we're going to see three important qualities in leaders. And the first one is this. Um, leaders, elders, are to defend against false doctrine. Uh, doctrine and truth is significant and, and important in a person's life. It is important in the church. Leaders need to be clear on what it means to be a Christian and what is not a Christian. A leader needs to understand false doctrine so that they can guide and protect and move people away from that. Satan creates religion to spiritually destroy people. And if you have leaders that just kind of look around and have warm and fuzzy feelings toward anything, any religion or anything that is kind of has the appearance of godliness, though it's not faithful, that, that would be terrible. It's like one of the, that's one of the things parents need to protect their kids. They need to have wisdom. They need to have insight. And so we need leaders that understand false doctrine and can guide people away from it. The second thing is that we need leaders that build the body through what they teach and through how they live. Um, Those are two things that need to be present in a leader's life. And the third thing is that we need leaders who are driven and motivated by a view of eternity, that they see this life correctly and that they see eternity correctly and that they have a sense of urgency about the way they minister and what they're doing. And that goes back to those other two things. So let's jump into this and let's read some stuff here. So 1 Timothy chapter four, I'm gonna read one through six. We're gonna focus on the first uh, couple verses. Um, It says this, um, now the Spirit expressly says, 
that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So that, by the way, is religious teaching. Deceitful spirits, those are spirits that are lying. Satan lies. He speaks out of his own nature and he lies. It's the teaching of demons. Now, here's going to be an expression of that. We're not going to focus a lot on this. I'll mention it uh, briefly, but it just says this. This is some of the false teaching that they were dealing with. By the way, Satan hasn't changed. He still does a lot of the same false teaching. But he says this, uh, uh, they're paying, some people fall away from the truth by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity, insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So these are people that they have deadened their conscience so that when they do things that are wrong, they don't feel guilty. Uh, they've just deadened their conscience. Uh, that's a scary thing that that can happen. And it's not just for these false teachers. That can happen with people who just sin over and over and refuse to repent. Eventually, that sin stops bothering them. But they have seared their conscience. Here's one of the things they do. They forbid marriage. They require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Have you ever wondered why we pray for our food? This is one of those verses. We thank God for our food, and we pray for our food. Uh, this, is, this is where, if, in case you wondered, this is one of the places that's why we pray for our food. But here's the issue with this. Um, forbidding marriage. You know, God says marriage is good. And actually, when you look at the qualifications of spiritual leaders, um, it is assumed that spiritual leaders are married. Now, here's the, here's the thing. Do spiritual leaders, do elders have to be married? Um, no. Who's writing this? Paul. Was Paul married? No. So Paul wasn't married. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about that after. At the time that he wrote this, Paul was not married. Yes. All right. Thank you. Um, at the time Paul wrote this, he was not married. And uh, when Paul wrote this, um, he is not married, but Paul talks about leaders as though they're married. In fact, the qualification of an elder is that he's the husband of one wife. Do you know any false teaching, any false religions that forbid marriage in their leaders? If you want to serve as a leader, you cannot be married. That is a doctrine of demons that forbid marriage. You don't have to get married, but marriage is a good thing that God created. And so he's just saying these are some of the things they do and that they say you can't eat this. There are so many false religions that have dietary rules and things that God made for us to enjoy and be thankful for um, Satan is saying, no, you can't do this and you can't do this and creating the system of works and the system of depriving people of things that, that is good. So here's the thing. We just need to understand that false religions are out there. Have you ever heard of wolves in sheep's clothing? This is the thing that just blows me away is people will look at, at people who do good things. And, and it's like, as we think about politically, like the fight against abortion, do you know how many false religions will come stand right next to us and will donate money and will get involved in the fight against abortion? They'll say babies should not be killed. And it's like, and we just line up who, who's joining us in that. And in there with us are false teachers People who are driven by Satan. Um, do you know what it means when it says wolves in sheep's clothing? Um, they're standing and fighting for what's right is sheep's clothing. Uh, there are people who are known for their generosity and their care for the poor, but when you listen to what they say, um, one person was, they went to this person well known for caring for the poor. And they said to her, when you're caring for the poor, do you share the gospel with them? No. 
because everybody goes to heaven. And everybody holds this person up and says, oh, what a wonderful example. What a wonderful sister in Christ. No, that's the sheep's clothing. And so we need to understand and we need leaders who actually can fight against false doctrine, who recognize it, and who don't usher people off to destruction. You know, one of the things that it says here is that the Spirit explicitly says, the, the, the Spirit expressly says, in latter times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. See, part of how you protect people from departing into false doctrine is to make sure they understand the truth, to make sure that they can distinguish between sheep's clothing and a sheep, uh, making sure that they can look and see um, what a wolf is, what a wolf sounds like, and what a wolf says. Um, That's a very important thing, and often, Um, We need to be people, we need leaders that are training and helping. And by the way, if you're a parent, you don't help your kids with these problems when they're in the middle of the problems. Uh, When it comes to dating and, and, and deciding how do I marry a believer, how do I figure out how to live a life that's productive, how do I be a parent and train, you don't start teaching your kids that stuff when they're engaged. You start teaching, that, teaching them that, like, we, we used to tell Jessica and Julianne, and one day we'll tell you who you should marry. And that was always a joke. But we started teaching our kids about what do you look for in a person that you're going to date, somebody you're going to want to marry. We started explaining that to them when they were three, four, five, seven, when they were in elementary school. Like, I remember Jackson, Jackson uh, one time, Um, I was sitting down and talking with him because when he was in third grade, he had like four girlfriends at school. (laughs) And so we're sitting at this table and Jackson's got four girlfriends. And I was just telling him, you know, Jackson, we don't have four girlfriends. And I was also helping him understand you're in third grade, (laughs) you have no girlfriends. (laughs) But aside from that, we certainly don't have four and, and as I'm sitting there, uh, Jax is like having a hard time understanding this. Well, well why? why? Why can't I have four girlfriends? And I said, well, see that lady over there coming over here uh, in the store? How do you think mom would feel if, if I kind of liked that lady over there? Maybe if I kissed that lady over there? And Jackson's like, well, you know, if you don't tell her, she probably wouldn't be that upset. <laughs> These, and there was these two older ladies sitting in this coffee shop where I was talking to Jackson. They were just laughing as they were listening to this conversation happen. Um, That's like a thing about relationships and shepherding and parenting and helping kids. But when it comes to spiritual things and actually being a believer, we need to lay a foundation that will protect people in their future. And you know what? We need leaders who do that. Um, and people are going to fall away from the truth. This is uh, what God says about these false teachers. Um, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So this is not a shock that we see good things in religion that is designed to separate people from Christ. Um, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Um, Not that there is another one. A different gospel Now, we need leaders who actually understand what the gospel is and who, when people in wolves in sheep's clothing come and say, if you do this behavior, it will take away your sin. Here, get baptized. This will remove your original sin. Come, eat this bread. Drink this cup. It will take away your sin. 
Um, there are all kinds of false doctrine and false teaching, and we just don't throw our arms around religion. God is not in every religion. Satan is in every religion. God is only in Christianity, true Christianity. So uh, b- leaders are people who actually see false doctrine. They see the danger in it. They can recognize what it is. They guard against wolves in sheep's clothing. The other thing that they do is they are to build up the body by teaching and living the truth. Look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. But, in, but put these things before the brothers. This is the stuff he's just been talking about with the false teaching. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. So the two things that you see here is is one, that these leaders are leaders who teach the truth. Um, it says that you will be trained in the, in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. See, that's the thing about leaders. Leaders follow good doctrine. That means they're in submission to it. Um, good leaders study the Bible. They, they don't just kind of pick their own theology, whatever they want to be true, and just say, oh yeah, I, I believe this because it's my favorite thing. Good leaders read the Bible and submit themselves to what it says and they follow it. And so they're teaching the truth. He's pointing these things out to the brothers. And so he's teaching. And then the other thing he says, train yourself for godliness. It is not just knowing and teaching the truth. It is actually training yourself, practicing, living out godliness. Now, when you think about good doctrine, this is what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You know, uh, we're talking about spiritual gifts, and the chapter on love comes in the middle. 1 Corinthians 12, talking about gifts, describing them. 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love. 1 Corinthians 14, an explanation of what's going wrong with the spiritual gifts. Love dominates what Christians do. Jesus said this about love. He says that, first of all, if you love me, you will obey me. So, People who are Christians love Jesus. That's the, that's the point I made a few weeks ago when I just said, if you've got everybody here in church and you said, um, okay, if you're not a Christian, you go over here and you're gonna go to hell. If you wanna be a Christian, come over here and you'll go to heaven. And, the, and I talked about myself and how as a kid, I did not love Jesus. I didn't want him to rule my life. He was not attractive to me. But as a kid, I'm thinking, I don't wanna go to hell. And so I'm like, okay, I'll pray this prayer. That is not Christianity. And that's not to say that that eternity should not be a motivation. Jesus talked a lot about hell to get our attention. But when a person is spiritually regenerated, they love Jesus. And people who love Jesus obey Jesus. That's what he said. And then Jesus also says this. Somebody comes to him, what's the greatest commandment in Scripture? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Um, Love is what dominates leaders. One of the things is we sit and think about leaders. We need to be looking for people who genuinely love others. And, And that doesn't mean they're blind to false doctrine, right? So a person who comes into the church who believes a lot of things that are wrong, a leader needs to recognize, okay, this person needs love. They need to be cared cared for. They need to be trained. They need to be taught. They need to be corrected. But they love them. They're not thinking, oh, man, that person's an idiot. Get him out of here. Uh, He's got some areas in his theology that isn't right. Where's all my friends that believe all the same things as, as me? Leaders are motivated by love for people. When a leader sees a person trapped in sin, they love them. They don't think to themselves, oh man, that person's trapped in sin. Get them out of here. We don't like them. Get them away from me. Oh, they irritate me. When a leader sees a person trapped in sin, they love them. 
And they want to encourage them, and they want to help them, and they want to come alongside. And, and they want, they, they desire this person's well-being. People who are irritated by people, like that is not what God calls us to, to, to do. That's not who God calls us to be. We should love people. <laughs> like Tom was describing his mom, his mother-in-law, that ever, everyone's life was better off being around her. We need leaders who genuinely love people. And by the way, when you genuinely love people, sometimes you will do and say things that people don't like. If in your parenting, your kids were never confronted because you wanted them to be happy, um, you don't love your kids. If, if in ministry, nobody is ever bothered because nobody actually ever cares about anyone enough to tell them the truth, to maybe address something, to deal with an issue that they're seeing, to encourage them in their doctrine or in their living, if nobody ever gets upset, like that's one of the things we don't say, okay, let's look around the church, who's never offended anyone? Let's have that person as a leader. No, but we need people who have a genuine love for people, a love for the church, a love for God's people that flows from their love for, from, for God. Um, so that's the aim. Um, you know, uh, often people, instead of teaching the truth, they want to chase whatever the latest fads are. You know, it's amazing as you look over the church, um, there's constantly new books about, oh man, if you want the church to be great and really grow, do this. Oh, we used to teach the Bible. In fact, there's this one book that I read talking about is this, this pastor of a really large church giving advice. And he says, don't ever say the Bible says. Nobody cares about the Bible. Don't say that anymore. In our culture, that's not helpful or encouraging. Don't say that. Never say the Bible says. Take that out of your vocabulary. Also in this book, he says, don't read the Old Testament. It's not for you. You don't need it. It wasn't written to you. It's not about you. Don't read it. So, I mean, hello? Do we know there's something wrong here? But do you have any idea how many people want to follow this guy? Uh, instead, his advice is this. Say, Paul said, Say, Jesus said, and I just read that and I think to myself, so a person who says, I don't care what the Bible says, is, oh, well, if Paul said it, well, then I'll obey it. I'm like, people who reject God's truth, they don't care if you say the Bible says, they don't care if you say Paul says, they don't care if you say Jesus says, they'll reject it all. And there's all these ideas about things that don't work. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that Paul tells Timothy, he tells him this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, a few verses at the end of our passage, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, that's encouraging to obedience, and to teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift that which, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. You know what he tells Timothy? He doesn't say, hey, look, culture's changing. People, people just, we can't do the stuff that we used to do. It just doesn't work anymore. We need to change. Paul says, hey, if you're struggling, if the church is struggling, don't go find something new. Go back to the basics. Read what the Bible says and just say, are we doing what God has told us to do? As, as leaders in this church, we look back and we, we look back sometimes at situations and we say, hey, what could we have done differently? Like if we could go back and do this again, what would we do? Um, I think about that in my parenting. I look back at some things when I was parenting my kids and I just say, okay, um, that didn't go the way I wish it would have gone. If I could go back and do it again, what would I do? Um, or in my own life, when I look at decisions that didn't work out best for me and I say to myself, if I could go back and do that again, what would I do? Do you know what the answer in all those situations is really? <laughs> Well, we disobeyed this in Scripture, we disregarded this in Scripture, we forgot to do this in Scripture, and it had a bad outcome. And if we could go back and do it again, I would not grab like the latest self-help book and say, well, let me try something else. 
You know, anytime churches want to grow or be faithful or do anything, the place you go is not what the latest book is. You go find the Bible, you read it, you say, what does it say? And then you do that carefully. That's what Paul told Timothy. He didn't say, hey, things in your church are kind of messed out. Uh, messed up. It's a different crowd. Nobody wants to listen to this stuff anymore. He said, don't neglect the public reading of Scripture and exhortation and teaching. That's what he had to say. So I was thinking about, uh, have you guys ever heard of uh, Vince Lombardi? Um, he was a football coach, in case anybody doesn't know. It's kind of funny. So way back in 1961... Uh, the Green Bay Packer football team were gathered together for their first day of training camp. They got a new coach, Vince Lombardi. And um, the previous season had ended with this heartbreaking defeat. So they're playing the Philadelphia Eagles, and um, they had a massive lead, and they squander it, and they end up losing. So this team of professional football players is all, they're thinking about this the whole off season, and they're thinking to themselves, hey, I can't wait to go to practice. We're gonna come up with these, all these really cool new things that we can try and figure out how we're gonna do a good job and all this stuff. And their new coach, he had a different idea. So he shows up to this team of professional football players who were like one game off of being the champion football players. And he grabs a football and he holds it up and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. Um, you want to know what Vince Lombardi did? Looking at a team, he's like, we need to grow, we need to do better. He said, let's go back to the basics, assuming nothing. This is a football. You want to know what's wrong with a church? What's wrong with the church is when the church, when things aren't going well in churches, what's wrong with many people's families is when things aren't going well in people's families, they don't go to the source of truth. They don't say, God, tell me what to do. God, where, did I, where am I going wrong? God, what am I not paying attention to? They, they go look around for some wisdom somewhere else. And we need to be people who, when we want to figure out what the church should do, we go back and actually read what the Bible says. And we need leaders who will lead us to that. By the way, six months later, they um, beat the Giants 37-0 to zero, um, and as they won their championship. Um, this is what... Uh, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So everything we do is motivated by love, but some of those words don't feel warm and fuzzy. Um, <clears throat> And then he says this. He describes our day. Uh, that pastor I told you that wrote that book, don't read the Old Testament, don't, don't do what the Bible says, don't, don't, don't tell people the Bible says. Um, he describes the people who fill his church. And it says this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know what Paul doesn't tell Timothy? Hey, people aren't going to like what God says. So figure out some popular myths, tell them that, then you'll have a big church. He says, do not stop doing what God told you to do. So when we look for leaders, we're looking for leaders who do that, who show that in their life, who demonstrate that in their families, who demonstrate that in their ministry, that they love people, but they are committed to what God says. And that's what we want everywhere. That's what we need everywhere. You know what we need on Sunday morning? The teaching of the word. You know what we need for high school and junior high students? It, this is a crazy thing to me. There are so many places who in the main service, they preach and teach God's word. But when it comes to youth, it's like, yeah, well, kids don't like that stuff. Let's give them fun and games. 
No. Youth need God's word. Or little kids. Hey, they're just little kids. Let's give them some pizza for Sunday school. No. Little kids, they need to learn God's word too. Um, We need God's word everywhere. And then they live the truth. They put those things into practice. When uh, our nomination form, by the way, we just, we just, what we do is you click on a link, and then there's just a list of qualifications. And all we did was we just took the very words of Scripture, and then you just click and say, yes, this characterizes this person. No, this does not characterize this person. Actually, I have not seen that part of their life, so I would just have to say it's not observed. And it's because we want to follow God's instructions as we are choosing leaders. And then the third thing, this is the final thing, is that leaders, they they function, they minister with a correct view of life in eternity. Let me read uh, verse 8 through 11. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You you want to know what the problem with many leaders is? Um, They actually are in love with the world. They're actually in love with they're they're in love with um, sinful things. They don't look and say obeying God and being spiritually faithful actually has promise in this life. Have you ever thought to yourself, um, I have to be miserable today so that I can go to heaven someday in the future? I mean, if I obey God, that makes, that makes everything, un, it makes it miserable. Um, but you know what? It's worth it because if I'm happy now, that means I have to be in hell forever. And it's like I'd rather be in heaven than in hell. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever read that bumper sticker that says anyone who thinks money can't buy happiness doesn't know where to shop? Um, Have you ever, like in your life, just looked at sin and it just feels so attractive? It just seems so good. Like the Bible, for example, says don't marry an unbeliever. Yeah, but but I'm so lonely, and, and, if I, and this is a person I really like them, I really enjoy their personality, and, and I'll be better off if I disobey God. Have you ever seen somebody making a sinful choice? God says don't get divorced, but you just think, man, they're miserable, and I know if they obeyed what God said, they would stay married, but actually, I think they'd, it just seems like they'd be happier if they, if they sinned. Have you ever looked around at sin, and it just kind of seemed like it was better off? if a person did it. See, we don't need leaders who look at life that way. We need leaders who understand that that is a deception of Satan. Obeying God is better in this life and also in the life to come. That's what we need. It's people who see the value. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. That is a sense of urgency about the significance of how people live life because we we have hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Okay, so we are hoping in God, the living God. And our hope in God, that is for salvation. That is that we are not saved by our works. We're not trying to be good enough to make it into heaven. Jesus was good enough for us every time we sin. We confess our sins. Jesus is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So our hope is in the work of Christ. And our hope is that Jesus is coming back and that there is an eternity. And that gives us a sense of urgency in reaching people who are lost, in encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we have a hope in God, and we know that in the way God changed us, he can change anybody. Everybody has hope, and that gives us a sense of urgency. And then it says this, it says, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Um, Is that a, 
Is that an interesting thought to you, the Savior of all people? Really, God saves everyone? Let me just ask you a question. Does everybody go to heaven? Okay, so in what sense is Jesus the Savior of all people? So I'll just throw a few things out there real quick. The first one is this. Jesus provided salvation for everyone. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus provided salvation for everyone. John 14, 6, there is salvation in no other, or, or John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Or Acts, in the book of Acts, it just says that there is, there is salvation in no one else other than Jesus. So he's the Savior and that he provides salvation. Did you know that he is the Savior of people in the sense that he is allowing them to live every day? Um, God is being good to everyone. God is being good to his enemies. And when you think about the crucifixion, the, as the soldiers, as they nailed Jesus to the cross, Jesus was keeping them alive. Um, so Jesus is the Savior in that sense that he keeps everybody alive. Um, he's, the sense in, he's the Savior in the sense that he provides for everyone. In fact, in Acts chapter uh, 17, verse 25 and 28, it says how God allows people to breathe and he determines where they live and the number of their days. Um, anytime anybody crosses the street or a plane flies and anybody survives, that's because God is keeping people alive and he's being good to everyone. And so that's Jesus being the savior of everyone, but especially believers. Do you know how God is the savior of especially believers? The Bible tells us that as many as receive him, to them he has given the right to become the children of God. And uh, in John chapter 6, um, God the Father, Jesus says, God's will is that he, I will save everybody that he's given to me. And so Jesus says, I will not lose any person God has given me. Anybody who puts their faith in Christ, God will save them and he will bring them to eternity. He will bring them into heaven. Jude chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you, to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence blameless with great joy. Um, God is especially the savior of believers. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for leaders who can protect against false doctrine, who know and teach the truth, who live the truth, and who function in life with a sense of urgency that makes them pursue those who are sinning. That makes them go after people, be willing to say hard things to people who may reject them. And who have a sense of urgency to see people genuinely come to know the Lord and to see the church build up the church family, encourage one another, and reach the lost. That's what we're looking for in our leaders. God, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness. God, I pray that you would raise up leaders. Help us to be the leaders that you want us to be. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, that we can trust it, that it is our main thing in your name. Amen.